Welcome to Midi the Podcast, a modern day podcast designed to answer all of your weird and wonderful pregnancy and postpartum questions. I'm your host, Monique Maitland, qualified midwife and nurse, founder of the Midi Society, and someone who is about to become your personal in-pocket midwife and virtual best friend. The Midi Society is a community-based platform where we interview leading healthcare professionals, new mummers and everyday people who share with us their experiences and reveal what they wish they knew before becoming a parent. So buckle up for this crazy and exciting ride. I'll be talking all things tits, bits, spew and poo. Alright, let's get started. In today's episode, I speak with embryologist Alex Crow where we discuss the process of egg retrieval, egg, sperm and embryo handling, as well as the final step of the IVF process, the embryo transfer. Please welcome Alex. Hello everyone and welcome back to Midi the Podcast. Today I am joined by a beautiful woman. Her name is Alex Crow. She is a friend, but she is also an embryologist. So Alex, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Hello, thank you so much for having me on. Um, So as you said, I am an embryologist at Melbourne IVF. Um, I've been working for about four years now um, and I'm kind of the behind the scenes to the IVF process. So working in the lab with the eggs and sperm and embryos. I am so excited for this episode because Alex and I were just joking about how she sort of does the growing of the babies, but then I get the other end of delivering and looking after these babies and who knows, may have even looked after an embryo baby that you grew. Yeah, yes. Well, it um, it wouldn't be the first time that's happened actually. Um, so it's pretty oh, really? cool. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool when um, it gets back to you that, um, yeah, someone you know delivered a baby and you were the one that helped create it. So. Very oh cool. my goodness, that is so amazing and what a special part you like share in a woman's pregnancy journey and yeah, I'm super excited for this episode because I don't know enough about it and obviously IVF egg freezing is becoming very popular these days so I think there's a lot of people out there that are just going to love listening to this and getting a bit more education behind it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, people don't really know too much about it. So it's exciting to be able to share some light on what happens behind the scenes. So first of all, people are probably thinking embryologist, what actually is that? So Alex, can you tell us a little bit more about what an embryologist is? Yep. So we are in the lab and it starts from the egg and the sperm. Um, So we are there for the egg collection and collect the eggs. Um, We are there to process the sperm and then we put the two together or in an egg freeze case, we um, prepare the eggs for freezing. Um, We watch the embryo grow for five days and then we are there at the end when the patient and the doctor come in and we do the embryo transfer on day five. So incredible. I just actually can't believe it. What what made you get into it? 
Um, I was doing a Bachelor of Science at uni and then wasn't really 100% sure what I was going to do from there, but I always had a real interest in the reproductive side of it and found a graduate diploma in reproductive science, which I got into. And then after that, the natural step was to go on and do a master's of embryology to develop those practical skills to work in an IVF lab. Amazing. It's just so interesting. I can't believe that you actually grow these little (laughs) embryos and handle these things. Like we all think scientists, but you, and we just think of like microscopes and stuff, but you literally do that every day in the little dishes and stuff, which just blows my mind. I know. I know. And we get, yeah, we, we forget how special it really is I guess just doing it every day but it's when you speak to patients or yourself and you're like oh actually yeah, that's pretty cool like we get to see them from single cells and then we'll get a photo nine months later of a little baby it's pretty cool oh that is so so incredible um but let's jump straight into it so I guess more so looking at the IVF process, where is our starting point? Does it start with that egg retrieval and how do you prepare for that? Yeah, so the patients will have spent a couple of weeks working with their doctor getting their stimulations and we don't have anything to do with that. But um, we will see the patients on what's called, uh, I think it's day zero, and that's when they have their egg retrieval. So they'll come in... um, to theatre and the doctor will collect the eggs um, by aspirating a needle goes into the ovary and they can see it all on ultrasound and they aspirate the fluid from each follicle and it gets put into a little tube about 10 mils and then it comes to us in the we've got an adjoining lab and we pour the fluid out into a dish that we then look under the microscope and you can see if there's an egg in this fluid because it's kind of like a white fluffy cloud with a black dot inside of it and the white fluffy clouds what's called cumulus cells and they're like the protective cells and then the little black dot in the middle is the little egg we collect the eggs for the patients and then they get put in dishes and and end up in the lab and it depends on the patient's plan for their treatment as to what we do with them from there is there a sort of an average amount of eggs that you would see as an embryologist? How many eggs are you looking at to be not so much successful, but what would be a good collection of eggs? Um, so it varies between every patient, obviously, and, and how their ovaries react to the stimulation. So some patients with um, polycystic ovary syndrome sometimes get a lot of eggs um, just because their ovaries like, are quite responsive. Um, and then some patients that are quite older might not have as much of a response. Um, but normally we like to see between 10 and 20 eggs, um, which is a good starting point because you do get drop off at each stage of the IVF process. Yeah. And that's explained to women when they're doing it, uh, that some eggs may, I guess, I don't know if the terminology is correct by saying survive. Um, but I have heard before that those eggs can sometimes not I guess last throughout the entire process and turn into embryos yeah exactly and we always expect that not every egg is going to be mature as well so when it comes out of the ovary we sometimes see maybe 
80% of eggs mature, um, depending on how the stimulation went. Um, yeah. And that links in straight with my next question is looking at the egg cell quality, what are you looking for? And you mentioned mature. What is a mature versus immature egg? So when we look at an egg, it's a single cell and a mature egg will have what's called a polar body sitting um, within the, the egg shell. So the outside shell is called the zona pellucida and then you've got the egg on the inside. And there's a little, little tiny cell sitting on top called the polar body and that's a sign that they've gone through that metaphase two stage and they've excluded a set of DNA which forms that little polar body and that shows us that they're mature which we can use to fertilize with an egg with a sperm sorry but if they're um if they don't have that polar body then they're not mature and they won't fertilize yeah and does that sort of make a good egg versus a bad egg or is there other factors as well that you're looking for that's kind of the only thing we're looking for um there's obviously DNA, um, like a genetic side of the egg, but we can't see that. Um, so the only thing we can really see is the maturity. Yeah. And um, also linking yeah. with this, is there a certain age? I guess we hear fertility thrown around all the time. Um, is there a certain age where you think women's fertility is better and when they should be doing this egg retrieval? Um, so... It's hard to say. Generally, um, a, a, a woman will go to their doctor and say, I'm this many years old, do you think I should freeze my eggs? And it's kind of up to the yeah. doctor to decide whether they think they should. Um, generally, if you're um, reaching your mid-30s, um, I think you should probably be considering it. Um, there's definitely a big drop off from 35 onwards in terms of your egg number and your egg quality. Um, so eggs are pretty cool in that they can actually repair DNA. So if you if it's put with a sperm that's um, the sperm might have poor DNA, um, the egg can actually repair it. Um, but as it gets older, um, the the egg struggles to repair DNA. So that's when you kind yeah. of can end up with just no embryos at all or um, that's why there's a higher rate of down syndrome sometimes with older women so yeah yeah and I guess fertility is a term that is thrown around so often like women in their 20s can get told that you know they're not very fertile but then women in their 40s can still be told that they are fertile so I guess it's very subjective but I think what you said if you're getting into that mid-35s maybe you've never considered something like this maybe it's worthwhile speaking with your doctor and getting some more education about it yeah definitely and then once you've got these little eggs in their dish what happens next so if we're looking to create embryos and you've got um, a male side of it as well so he'll produce his sperm sample uh, on the same day as the egg collection and depending on the quality um, and the number of sperm, so the concentration, um, will kind of depend on the treatment plan for the next five days. So um, if the reason that these people are going through IVF is because the, the male 
partner has poor sperm will probably do what's called ICSI, which is where you manually inject one single sperm into the egg, which is kind of the image that they use on the news whenever they're talking about IVF. It's like that real typical like injection into the egg. Um, yeah. So in that case, we have to prepare the eggs for that, which means um, we have to remove that fluffy cloud that I was talking about of cumulus cells. So we put the eggs through a series of washes and it kind of strips the cumulus cells off the egg. So you end up with one nice, clean, single egg sitting on its own. Um, if the sperm is fine and it meets all our um, parameters that we're looking for, then we can do um, natural IVF insemination, which is where we leave the eggs as they are and we put the sperm and the eggs together in the afternoon in a dish and we just leave them overnight and let them do their own thing. And hopefully one, <laughs> hopefully one little sperm makes its way in. Um, yeah, so there's those two options, um, which um, it's kind of up to the doctor and the patient to decide um, based on their history and maybe why they're not falling pregnant, which option to go for. Yeah. And is there, I guess, more success with you injecting that single egg cell versus like in a dish with all the other little sperms swimming around <laughs> or are they sort of similar? It just blows my mind because yeah. I have no idea that this process like that existed and it's just so incredible, really is. Yeah, so the the results um, for fertilization are pretty much the same. Um, so with ICSI, you're putting the eggs under a little bit more stress. Obviously, putting them yeah. through those washes to remove the cells off the outside, um, and then injecting a tiny, tiny little needle inside the egg is quite invasive. Um, so there is a small risk that um, an egg might not survive that process. Um, so you eliminate that risk when you do natural IVF. Um, mm -hmm. But then on the same side with natural IVF, sometimes um, there might be a communication breakdown between the sperm and the egg, which we don't know about. Um, and you might find that some eggs don't fertilise. Um, but you, you, we, it's not common to see all eggs fertilised. It's, it's quite a miracle when yeah. they do all fertilise. So. Yeah. And do you have to keep them at a certain temperature? Are they sitting in there? Yeah. How do you store them when you're doing this? So um, you'll probably be able to relate to this, but we pretty much do everything in the exact same like humidity cribs that little premies are kept in. Um, so we've got a microscope yeah. sitting in a in a big crib, um, and we put our arms inside, and we've got our microscope, and it's all set to thirty seven degrees and pretty much the exact same environment that we're trying to mimic the um, the fallopian tubes to be because <laughs> that's yeah. kind of where the egg and the sperm would be meeting. So, yeah, yeah, 37 degrees um, and the CO2 and the oxygen's all set. So, yeah. I actually just don't understand how you do this because I remember when I was in <laughs> biology at school in like year 10 and I couldn't even look through a micro like microscope with two eyes I had to use one because I just could see black all the time okay I just don't understand how you do that with tiny little microscopic needles and inject these eggs and here I am trying to put needles in women and that's even <laughs> even too hard sometimes I know well yeah <laughs> thankfully the eggs and the sperm can't talk so 
yeah, I guess that that <laughs> is true. Um, but going back to more, I guess the process that the woman is going down. So this is very similar to what we've spoken about with the egg freezing options. Um, because women who are doing the egg freezing, they still have to use the hormones to help stimulate the productions of egg cells. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but if they're going down that path, what would then happen next if they are doing the egg freezing before you create embryos? So for egg freezing, we prepare the eggs the same way that we'd prepare them for ICSI. So we want to remove all those cumulus cells Um and just have a single egg on its own. And the way we freeze eggs is by snap freezing them. So it's called vitrification. And you want as little cells as possible so that it happens really quick. So that's why we take all those cumulus cells off around the outside. Um, So to freeze the eggs, basically you put them through a number of solutions again And what it does is dehydrate the egg and take the fluid out of the egg Um, because when you freeze something with like water, crystals form and they're sharp and you'll basically kill the egg from these sharp ice crystals. So we dehydrate them and then we put them through another solution which sort of rehydrates them with a cryoprotectant and this sort of protects the egg in the freezing process. And once we've done that, we put them on a tiny little device which has a little tiny hole in it. And all IVF clinics have different sort of devices that they use. But at our clinic, we've got one, it's like a paddle with a hole. And we just sit the tiny egg inside this hole and then drop it in liquid nitrogen and it snap freezes it straight away. And then that can sit there for... Oh, indefinitely. I think we had one one baby born, not from our clinic, I don't think, but um, just in the world from a 20-year-old frozen egg. So, um, yeah, they can sit there as long as you want. I am just gobsmacked. Oh, my God. I, it's just <laughs> I can't even believe that we're so lucky that we have people like you doing these things because you're saying all these words and I'm just like, oh, my goodness. I don't know how you do it, but I guess the positive of egg freezing for those women, and we were talking about this before, egg freezing has become more popular and I think COVID is probably a catalyst for that as many women in, you know, feeling like they're reaching their fertile period or the end of their fertile period with COVID, they haven't met another partner or they're just wanting to start a family soon they're going down that pathway of egg freezing so that they're freezing their eggs at their current age with the potential that they might meet someone later on but if they want to go down the path of having a baby and say they met someone five years later they're using a for example a 30 year old egg versus a 35 year old egg yeah yeah exactly Um, A lot of patients actually never come back for their eggs because they do meet someone and they fall pregnant naturally. But um, I can see why you'd want that uh, so-called insurance policy, I guess, to Mm. just know you've got a good amount of eggs or you say come to a certain age and maybe you haven't found a partner, but you've got these eggs that you can use and put with donor sperm and 
or you do find a partner later on and you can use their sperm and create embryos. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's very interesting and a very worthwhile thing, I guess, if you're in that position. Mm. So after that, you've got the sperm processing too, and you've probably touched on that a little bit. But in terms of the sperm quality and collection, because we hear a lot about fertility with women, but there can also be infertility with males. So I think it's important to look at that side of things as well. What are you looking for with the sperm quality and collection? So um, a lot of people don't realise, but it's often a 50-50 reason why you're not falling pregnant. So um, So the guys will come in on the day of egg collection and produce their sample and it comes into the lab. What we're looking for is a certain amount of sperm in general. So we call that the concentration. And then we're looking for a certain amount of sperm that are swimming, so their motility. And then um, we also look at um, their morphology, so what they look like under the microscope on a really high power Um, and we follow a a guideline that's been set by the World Health Organization which showed that um, you get a better fertilization when um, sperm meet a a criteria for each of those categories so um, it seems like it seems like a lot but we're after 15 million sperm in in one mil of, of sample that's for IVF, so that's for a natural sperm insemination where we leave them together overnight. Um, for ICSI, we basically just want to see as many sperm as you have eggs. So we, yeah. we're we not picky at all. Um, we obviously want to see motile sperm, but, um, yeah, you'll always pretty much find a sperm for an egg in ICSI. Wow. Those little swimmers, hey? Yeah. <laughs> I just don't understand how you look at this all day, every day. It's just incredible. Yeah. Um, And then I guess starting the embryo process with your egg and sperm handling, you have touched on what an embryo, I guess, is, but how do you grow that embryo after the insemination? What does that process look like? So we'll come in the next morning after we've put the eggs and sperm together. Um, We have these really cool machines called embryoscopes and they're incubators, but they take a photo every 10 minutes and it forms a time-lapse video over the five days. So once the eggs have spent the night with their sperm, they go into these embryoscope dishes um, and the photo process begins and we'll check in on that morning for fertilization. So that's what we call day one. Um, We check for fertilization in the eggs and what it looks like is two tiny little circles sitting inside the egg and they're called pronuclei. And each of those circles is kind of like a pair of DNA from the egg and from the sperm. And that's, if you see two of them, that's a sign of normal fertilization. And um, that's like the beginning process, I guess, of the next five days. 
Um, so after the um, after we check for fertilization, we'll call the patient, let them know how it went, and then we leave them for the next five days. And they just sit in their little dishes inside this embryoscope, and it's taking photos. Um, the media that or the liquid that the embryos are sitting in is um, it's got all the nutrients that it needs for the next five days and that kind of mimics the nutrients that you get in the fallopian tubes in the uterus. So kind of facilitates development like it would in the body, I guess. Um, and then, yeah, so it's not till day five that we go onto a computer and we can see the video of the last five days and we can watch how they've gone developing. Wow, would be a long five days for the families or the women that are wanting to grow their embryos, I'm sure. And I feel like I've heard, can people or patients look at these videos when they're at home? Some clinics offer it, yeah. Um, We don't. Um, Sometimes, yeah, some clinics will have a server that you can log into and watch the, I guess, live time of... Um, how your embryos are going. Um, they're pretty dynamic little things. So we've kind of thought that there might not be much good to being able to see how they're going because you can't actually change anything that's happening. Um, no. Once the little eggs have been fertilised, it's really up to them to do their thing for the next five days. We can't change anything about it. Um And sometimes embryos will be quite slow at the beginning and then speed up at the end or they'll be quite, like over the three days, they'll be doing all their divisions and they look really good. And then on day four, they just stop growing altogether. Um, So for a patient to see that would be quite hard, I think, and you'd have a lot of questions and it's best just to, as hard as it is, um, sit tight for five days and then on day five, we can have a look and have a really good idea of how everything's gone and yeah. update you or the patient. Um, and, yeah, on five on day five, you have a lot more answers to give, I guess. Yeah, and during this time, are you in contact with, like, their doctors? So between day one and day five, we don't have any communication with the patient or the doctor. Um, it's on day five that the embryo, sorry, the patient might have an embryo transfer and we will see them then and explain how all the embryos have gone. It's quite common um, that about 50% of fertilised eggs on average will become embryos. Some patients that might be more and some, um, unfortunately, none of their fertilised eggs make it. <clears throat> Um, so it's different for everyone, but, um, we hope that there's a nice embryo to transfer on day five. Um, and when we see the patient, we can explain a lot more about what's happened over the five days with the other embryos as well. Yeah. And do you guys do any genetic testing on these embryos? Yep. So, um, if it's part of the treatment plan, we offer genetic testing as well. Um, and on day five, of the embryos development we assess them um, if the embryos are suitable so they've got a nice number of cells and the cells look really nice then we can biopsy them and take them 
take a few cells from the embryo and send it off to the PGD lab. Um, and then we freeze the embryos while the results are all being processed, takes a few weeks, and then the patient will get the genetic results of their embryos and then they can come back and we can thaw out an embryo and have it transferred. Wow. It's so crazy that you can do that with such small cells and so early on in the process. Um, But then linking with what you said, fresh versus frozen, if women are going down the freezing of the embryos, is it the same process as freezing like an egg? Yeah, so same kind of process that I was explaining with the egg freezing. So we put the embryo through a series of washes and it dehydrates the the cells and then rehydrates them with that cryoprotectant and we're vitrifying them the same way. So it's quite successful. Um, very, very rarely will an embryo not survive the, the freezing and the thawing. It's about 95% survival. Um, but um, obviously you need to do it if you have quite a good outcome and you've got a few embryos um, on day five or um, we also grow them to day six or day seven if they're a bit slow. So um, if you've got quite a few embryos, then um, you do need to freeze them. So you can come back and have a frozen embryo transfer later on. Yeah. And it's so amazing that that, I guess, option is there for women later on if they want to have another go at trying to fall pregnant again. Um, and where do they get stored? Like how how do you guys store them? Obviously they get dropped in that nitrous or I could be totally <laughs> wrong. Um, but then when you're actually storing them, you know, is there like a big fridge full of embryos or how does it work? So we've got um, – we actually, because we're busier than ever at the moment, we've got um, quite a lot of um, what I call liquid nitrogen tanks and we, um, inside each of these tanks are, um, cylinders, which we call canisters. Um, and then inside each canister are what we call canes and canes are just like these metal things that, um, um, that hold onto the devices that we have the embryos frozen on. So, Oh, I can't even tell you how many embryos could fit in one tank. It would be uh, so, so many. <laughs> um, but <laughs> where I am at Melbourne IVF, we've currently got um, 60-something tanks. Um, so it's absolutely bonkers, but mm. lots of patients freezing embryos and eggs, um, which is cool. But, yeah, so we've got a big room full of tanks and um Every day we have to fill up the liquid nitrogen inside each of those tanks to keep it nice and full and keep the embryos all submerged under the liquid nitrogen. I, I'm still in shock. It just never... <laughs> <laughs> Every time you say something, I'm just like, wow, it's even more incredible. I think we just hear IVF and, you know, embryos, but we don't actually think about how much has to be done to these eggs and sperms to create the embryos and the fact that we're so fortunate to have people like you doing this every single day it's just absolutely incredible and it's also incredible that our bodies can do this naturally as well 
I know. And I think, yeah, before I even started in this um, this whole job, I you'd see someone pregnant and be like, oh, yeah, they're pregnant. Um, but now yeah. you see someone pregnant you're like, oh, my God, like the things that your body has gone through and like this little embryo has travelled down the fallopian tube and embedded in your uterus and, um, yeah, it's, it's actually quite amazing to think about that happening in real life as well. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, so when you prepare someone for the embryo transfer, you're with them for this process? Yeah, so <clears throat> the um, the patient will come in and you'll have a, your doctor there, you'll have a nurse and then one of the scientists. And um, the doctor is obviously doing um, putting the speculum in and... and positioning um, a catheter which um, sits nicely where they want it inside the uterus where they want to deposit the embryo Um, the nurse will be on an ultrasound on your tummy um, bringing up the the live view of the uterus and then once they are happy with (coughs) once they're happy with how everything's looking they'll call for the the embryo and the embryologist will be there with your embryo in a dish. Um, you'll, um, at our clinic, we, we show the embryo down the microscope and it gets put on a screen for the patient to see it in live time. Um, and we draw up the embryo in a very, very fine little catheter. Um, and it's like a little jelly catheter, which um, we walk over to the doctor um the doctor will guide it up through that other catheter that's already placed and then um it's on a syringe so they just plunge the syringe and it pushes the embryo out of the catheter and into the uterus which is kind of they describe it like a jam sandwich so a lot of patients will a lot of patients will be like oh is it going to fall out if I stand up um but no it sits there quite snug sandwiched between the two walls of the uterus. <laughs> wow. And how many embryos would you be transferring? Is it always one at a time? Yeah, yeah. So always one at a time. Sometimes you'll get a double embryo transfer, um, but it's kind of, again, that sort of comes down to a discussion with the patient and the doctor Um Sometimes if there's a patient that's getting a bit older and they've had a lot of failed cycles, um, the doctor might say, okay, let's go two this time. Um, But if you've got a nice embryo and you've got a patient that's um, quite healthy and and not, you know, not wanting twins, then um, we always go a single embryo transfer because the risks are just too high with twins. So So then... After you've transferred the embryos back into the uterus, what does that pathway look like for the patient? Do they have to sit there for a while or what what I have no idea. Do they when they go home, what's the communication between them and you guys? So pretty much after the procedure's done, it takes about ten minutes. Um, it's really like a pap smear, so it's really quick. Um yeah, they will just get up and go home. Um, 
<clears throat> it's 10 days of waiting until your pregnancy test. Um, I've heard a lot of doctors say um, just act like you're pregnant now. Um, so obviously just start doing all those things that you'd be doing in pregnancy, like avoid alcohol and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, but, yeah, really um, the embryo is not going to fall out. Once it's in the uterus, it's really just down to the embryo and the uterus interacting and having that um, implantation. So there's nothing anyone can really do after that. Um, and yeah, so 10 days it takes and then they have a blood test to get their pregnancy bloods to see if it worked. Amazing. And then from there they just continue on. Hopefully if everything's all okay, they continue on the usual pregnancy pathway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hopefully. I just still am in shock that this is what you do. And <laughs> you did touch on a little bit about the success rate. What would you say the average success rate is? For each age group, it varies a lot. Um, but basically, if you start at the eggs, um, however many eggs you get, we like to see a lot of them mature. So let's just say you've got 20 eggs and you might get um, 18 of them mature. And you put them with sperm. Um, often we'll tell patients that <clears throat> on average 50% uh, will fertilise. So that will bring you down to about 10 fertilised eggs. Um, and then from fertilised eggs, roughly on average, yeah, about 50% will become usable embryos so that's um a nice blastocyst on day five day six or day seven um that we can transfer or freeze um so um from from those usable embryos that we've got um depends on your age but it's about um around 40 percent chance of pregnancy for for each embryo so um, yeah there's obviously a lot of drop off along each process um, which can be quite yeah. challenging to tell patients um, and it kind of depends on the expectations of like what they've been told as well sometimes you'll have a patient um, and she gets 10 just say she gets 10 eggs and eight of them fertilize and she'll be like, oh, but what happened to the other two? And she'll be quite upset that the other two didn't fertilize. Mm. Um, and then you'll have a patient that got three out of ten and they'll be like, oh, how exciting. We've got three growing now. Um, so, yeah, everyone's different with how they react. And um, But, yeah, it's, it's just part of the process that you're going to get drop off along the way. Yeah, well, they go through a lot. Um, especially with all the handling and I guess the process itself. So it's just amazing that some of these embryos turn out to be little babies down the track. Yeah. It's just I know. So, so amazing. Yeah, it is very cool. When you're handling, I guess, the sperm and the egg and growing the embryos, what's your relationship to them? Like when they don't, work out or if they do what's your emotions surrounding that we spend a lot of time sometimes with um yeah. 
a particular case. So if um, if a patient, um, if the male partner has um, not very good sperm, we can spend a lot of time searching for three or four sperm um, under a microscope. And you kind of, um, you do kind of build a bit of a relationship um, and you that name sort of gets etched in your mind a little bit. Um, and yeah. the next morning you'll come in and be like, how did they go? And you'll get up the, the embryo scope screen and have a look. And um, so, yeah, you do kind of remember names and um, especially when, yeah, you, you spend a lot of time. Um, yeah. Or sometimes patients come back for their 15th cycle and you're like, you know their name because they've been around a while um and yeah so that is also like when you see that they've finally got a positive pregnancy test you're like oh my god that's amazing like it's been so many years for them so yeah yeah it's it's kind of a shame when I guess you remember patients names because it's not like a good thing but um but yeah it's it's it kind of makes you appreciate like the work that you do as well because yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's exact like exactly the same for me. It's sad, but we normally remember the names of the bad, not the names of the good. Um, and I think that's just life and part of the job. But you put so much effort into growing and creating these embryos. And I guess you know that the families really want this. So to walk in to have done all the work and then for it to not be successful, I'm sure it would be like, oh, damn it like yeah I really thought that was going to work yeah yeah and we, we will talk to patients after we've finished their treatment <clears throat> and we've um sometimes um patients won't have any embryos to freeze or transfer on day five um and we have to talk to them on the phone about that um and we can sort of it's really hard because obviously this is why they're not falling pregnant. Um, but there are things we can do for future treatments to try and change their cycle. Um, so if we've done IVF, natural insemination, and the patient didn't get anything fertilised, we can say, okay, obviously there's a breakdown between the sperm and the egg communicating, so next time let's try ICSI. Um mm. So there's kind of things we can do to change um, or alter future treatments, um, but it's still it's still never nice, I guess, when you have to um, talk to a patient about why it didn't work. Yeah, it is. No, like bad news is never good news for anyone. No. Um, but Alex, that pretty much sums up everything for this episode. What an insightful episode it has been. The knowledge that you have is just absolutely incredible. Um, I just am blown away by people like you doing this. And I think I've probably been a bit complacent thinking about the actual process and how you grow these embryos and how you handle them. Because how small is an embryo? It would be absolutely tiny. Yeah, you can't see it um, with your naked eye. So... (laughs) To think that can become a a live baby is pretty fascinating. Yeah, and the fact that you can do all these things to it is just amazing. Um, But thank you so much for coming on and chatting with all of us today. I've really enjoyed speaking with you, so thank you again. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's been 
um, really good to be able to explain it and hopefully some people know a little more about um, the IVF process. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of MIDI. Your support means the absolute world to me. So if you loved this episode and want to stay up to date with the latest interviews and midwifery education, please hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review. For further information about this episode, please check the show notes below. If you wish to share your pregnancy and motherhood experience, you can get in touch with me by emailing hello at themidisociety.com.au and find us on Instagram at at themidisociety or at Monique underscore Maitland. I cannot wait for you to join me next week. I'll be talking all things flap chat. In the meantime, I hope you have an amazing week and remember you're doing the best you can. Mm-hmm.